Policies of Exclusion, Poverty, and Health, Stories from the Front. Compiled Introduction and Reports by Crystal Ocean. Copyright 2005, Wise Group. Episode 21. The Stories. Vanessa. Method. Interview. It was my first week in town, and I was flipping through the paper. I saw a picture of my father-in-law giving a large donation to a local charity. I thought, isn't that typical? Here I am starving and eating at the same place all winter, and his family owes me spousal maintenance and took the houses from me. Right beneath the picture was the article about this project. I grew up in Victoria, the middle child of a middle-class family. I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, who were extremely wealthy. I was a very outgoing kid, into every sport and wanting to do and see everything. I was a candy striper and would pick daffodils and take them to the hospital. The bright yellow would brighten up the room. I enjoyed visiting elderly people in the neighborhood and hearing their stories. I was a competitive gymnast and taught the younger kids. I never had a spare moment and always made the honor roll at the school I attended. My family would fight a lot about religion. My father was Catholic and my mother was Anglican. So being one of those get-on-top-of-it kind of people, I started checking it out myself. I was eight or nine when I began reading the Bible. I didn't understand a bloody word of it. When I was fourteen, my mother bought me a special edition Bible. I slowly plugged my way through it, still not understanding much. I had a hard time getting past the and blah blah begot blah blah. I started at Revelations and worked my way back instead. I don't know if there's such a thing as God, but I use the Bible as a guide on how to think. It's all about the power of positive thinking, loving your enemies and treating people as you would like them to treat you. If you follow that, it works. You don't hold grudges, you don't feel jealous, you don't feel envy. My mom called me naive and worried that people would walk all over me because of this. When I thought about my future, one thing was clear. I didn't want to grow up and serve some man. I didn't want to get married. My mom stayed home all the time, and she did everything. There was no freaking way in hell I was staying home till five o'clock and making sure someone's dinner was warm. I didn't want to be a servant. I worried and fretted about this. Then, when I did grow up, that's what I became. For years. That's the biggest thing that bothers me about society. It beats your spirit out of you. You grow up with dreams. Then, because you're a woman, you're expected to put them aside. My dreams were to be a doctor. When I was nine, I read The Intern by Dr. X and wrote my first report on the different types of brain cancers. I was obsessed with the medical world and finding cures. My dad said, Oh, you'll grow up and make a nice little nurse. And I did. 
When I was fifteen, I became pregnant, but miscarried. Ever since, my whole focus was find an intelligent man, get pregnant, and make sure that he's not in the picture anymore. At seventeen, I had a daughter. I knew I would have more children, but I still didn't want a man in the picture. Sure, I recognized the importance of two parents, and I never stopped my daughter's father from seeing her. But I thought, what's wrong with having a man around for his child, but not for me? I did not want to be a wife. That's what it boiled down to. I could accept the notion of fatherhood, but not husband. My daughter and I were happy, even when we had no money. We did end up on income assistance for a while. The father was ordered to pay three hundred dollars a month child support, but I was getting only fifty dollars a month. I became pregnant again and was engaged to the father, a very gentle, kind, and loving person. Our relationship ended when I was still unable to get married. As a young single mom, I got the look from people. For a short period of time, I was on welfare, but raising children on welfare wasn't my goal. I found an incredible stigma against single or divorced women, even from my own father. When I later got divorced, why would you want to leave your husband? He gives you everything. Well, yeah, including bruises all over my body. Nobody understood. I lost the kids in the divorce. I lost all the property, everything that we were apparently working for together. It's not about traditional roles. I'm afraid that even my current partner, who I chose because of shared beliefs, will take a part of me away. That's happened throughout my life. I've wanted things, and society has said, "No, no, you're a girl. Girls don't do that. Girls don't think like that." Stomp, 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 until finally I got married. I cooked dinner every night and said, "No, I won't go out. Yes, I'll do that." I lived under the rule, like millions of other women. I was twenty when I had my second child and still living on my own. My son was six months old when I met my future husband. I'd already begun to feel the guilt of bringing these children into the world and seeing my son's father drive off and never come back. My daughter's dad would say, "I'll be there Saturday." She'd be all dressed up, waiting at the window, and he wouldn't show up. And the poverty. Although I felt totally happy with my life, what about them? What had I done? I felt so much guilt. That when I met this man, I thought maybe it was time. I lived with him for four years before we got married. We had three children together. The years before we married were good, but we argued a lot. I was still quite feisty and wanting to live my own way, and he was quite controlling and determined to put a stop to that. He never wanted me to have company. He smoked pot. And the house always smelt like it, so I never had anybody over. Did I get into the pot? Oh God, no! I was dead against it. I threatened to leave him if he smoked around the kids. We had lots of money. He worked for his father's company. It turned out he was also selling drugs, so he had a very good income. He owned three houses; two were rented out. 
The kids were well taken care of. But there were times when my husband wouldn't give me money for so long that we might not even have toilet paper. He'd never let me drive the family vehicle. If there was an emergency, I had to call him. If he didn't think it was an emergency, we waited. Even if I needed milk, I had to wait for him to come home. I felt trapped, and I felt isolated. He left me the first time six weeks into my first year of university. We'd been together for seven years when I began studying nursing. He didn't like that. There was a lot of homework and class preparation. I'd been extremely ill in ICU and had had some heavy-duty health problems that year. It was a lot of stress on everybody. I was a horrible nag, too, because he wouldn't stop people coming over to buy little bags of pot. Then he started running grow houses. When I found pot plants in our house, that was it. I threw them down the stairs. For that, he beat the crap out of me and was charged with assault. The charge was stayed. Everything went nasty and bitter. He went to Alberta for two years, and I filed for divorce. It didn't go through. He hadn't left an address, and he couldn't be found for the papers to be served. After a few months, he began sending me money. With that, my student loan and me working long hours, the kids and I had everything we needed. When he came back, I'd done a couple of years of school, had been on my own, and was happier than ever. After his return, I became increasingly unhappy. I used to say to my mom, it feels like he actually reaches in and takes my energy out. But the kids were ecstatic, so I thought I'd better try to make this work. My husband revealed a few months later that he was gay and had been with other men. He filed for divorce in 2000, and he got everything. The furniture, the vehicle, the dishes, everything. Everything. Our lawyers wanted to settle by agreement, and my lawyer didn't properly represent me. Under the agreement, we got joint custody, an order which my husband breached. For a year, I didn't get to see or speak to the kids who were living with him. I should have had them three and a half days a week, but he refused to let me see them. He didn't pay his child support. My lawyer refused to go to court. Having just come out of a severely abusive relationship, I was too tired to fight. As I said before, it's like society stomps the personality right out of you. My lawyer said I had to give my husband the other three children for weekends. When they would go, sometimes I would be three or four days before I could even get through to anybody on the phone. He never returned them. In 2001, he took one of the children away from me. He tried everything to hurt me. He'd taken all the money. He'd depleted my child support so there wasn't enough money for rent. The place where we lived had no heat, and it was unsanitary. He offered to babysit, but would always arrive just a bit too late so that I would be late for work. He charged me with mental instability and criticized everything I did. He'd come and visit, then take off with my son, and I would be frantically calling, trying to find out where they were. One time, it was for three weeks, and when I finally found them, my son was angry and said, 
Why didn't you come and get me, Mom? In March 2003, I ended up in emergency. I'd had a grand mal seizure on the street. While I was in hospital, my dad visited and told me, Social services asked us to watch the children while you were sick, but we had to go to Las Vegas, so they gave them to your husband. I said to myself, No thinking. Thinking hurts. I went completely weak. That was that. I saw the kids maybe five times over the course of a year, and I've gone to court many, many times. When the kids first left, I never got out of bed. I couldn't work. I couldn't think. It's pretty lonely trying to get used to a house without kids in it. That never happens. I'll never get used to waking up without them. Last fall, I obtained income assistance. It's hard to get well if you have no money, and it's a lot of work being poor. You are so busy trying to get food. I couldn't figure out how to eat healthy with no money and on the food they give out at the food bank. I've learned this slowly. You can't get enough food, but you can get healthy food, which means never having anything else. You have to be up at eight o'clock, or else you're going to miss the food hampers. If you're sick on the day they give them out, you have to wait a week. Living below the poverty line is like living on another planet. I don't go to the grocery store. I get my food at the food bank. I can't afford breakfast foods or the odd bagel, so my dinners are extremely important. I used to be a vegetarian, but I can't afford fresh vegetables. Now I have to eat fish and chicken. Occasionally, I eat beef. I need the protein so badly. I wish I got cheese, but no one gives it out. You can't get fresh milk products. Ironically, I'm probably more physically fit than I have been in a long time. I walk everywhere because I have to. I see the world so differently now. I don't value money anymore. I value relationships. I enjoy simple things more. Before, my husband would say to me, You'd give your neighbors your last loaf of bread and leave yourself with nothing. I knew that mothers had a hard time getting formula. I didn't know what being in poverty felt like. You are a different race. You live a different life, even from people who have just enough money to get by. You don't go to the dentist, and if your tooth falls out, too damn bad. You can be so hungry at times that your stomach hurts. You don't cry about it or feel sorry for yourself anymore, because that's your reality. I think the general population goes around with their eyes closed. For example, I saw my dad recently for the first time in over a year. When I was leaving, he offered me $20. I told him, that's not why I wanted to see you. You don't need money to survive as much as you need community and human connection. My dad doesn't understand. He said to me the other day, well, if you're sick, just rest. Yeah, well, I've got to go do my laundry in the bathtub, so I'll just pass on that. My family are just clueless, and they don't want to know what it's like. I've been accepted into the nursing refresher program, but still need to get the funding. I'm now allowed to see the kids, whenever I want, if I give enough notice. This is for eight months, until I'm out of school. 
so my future looks excellent. But it was hard work getting here. I can't see it going bad either way, whether I get the funding to take the course or if I pay for it myself through working part-time. I don't see myself as living in poverty very much longer, and within a year I should be as happy as a clam, happier than I ever was before. I'll have my kids back. I've had a really great learning experience. Probably everybody should spend a year of their life living in extreme poverty. No longer than a year. Otherwise you may not be able to claw your way out of it.